This morning we're going to talk a little bit about what baptism represents. It represents the, the cleansing power of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, that through His death and resurrection we can be saved and be saved eternally. When I think about cleaning though, I, I know that some of you here are cleaning people. How many would, would be like clean freaks? You're the, the cleaners, okay? And how many of you are married to them? No, um, <laughs> there's challenges there, right? I, I watched this with my children already. Alicia, perhaps like my wife, is, is a clean person. And so already she will walk around and clean up after the boys. What she hasn't realized yet is to wait until they're done with whatever they're playing with. And so this week, it was um, they were all getting out blankets to, to bundle up with and, and to build forts with, and they, they just have fun with blankets. Forget the expensive toys, boxes and blankets. And, and the, the boys bring them all out, and they have a pile, and they run into their room to get one last thing. And they come back out, and all the blankets are put away. Now, perhaps it became an opportunity to learn how to be gracious that my boys needed to learn at that moment in time because they weren't happy because someone was cleaning up after them. Sometimes that'll happen with a train set. We have one of those wooden train sets that you put together and the boys will be putting it together and Alicia will be following along, (laughs) putting it away. Is it wrong to sort of smile and watch it happen? (laughs) But, but we, we, we thirst to be clean. Hopefully, some of us do. But spiritually, I believe all of us do. We, we know that we have a need. We know that, that deep inside, in our natural man, all of us are sinful. And all of us struggle with sin. And all of us are stained in that way. And that, that brings us to a point of saying, what do I do about it? What do I do about it? And so many people try so many different things to get rid of guilt and to get rid of pain and to get rid of these, these, these feelings inside. And this morning, as we continue walking in the steps of Christ, our, our servant Savior, we come to two stories that talk about Christ's cleansing power. That talk about a power that truly cleans, that truly purifies, that truly cleanses. And they're two very different stories But there's so many similarities and so many parallels as we say, how do we be clean? How do we inside realize that God has taken away the sin, the penalty for sin, that He has taken away the stain of sin? Turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. And as we come to the stories today, just a, a little bit of background and, and thinking through some of the other principles we've learned. In 1 John, we studied 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think we camp on the forgiveness. Woohoo! No one's holding anything against me. And we forget that it's cleansing power, that it's, it's, it's Christ wanting to do a work in our hearts and a work in our lives. And in these two stories, we see 1 John 1, 9 in practice. In practice with, with Christ. If you remember last week in, in verses 35 to 39, when we left, Jesus was, had done a, a bunch of miracles in Capernaum, and the crowds were coming and pressing in, and, and he realized that, that not only were people there all hours of the day, but they were there for the wrong reasons. 
They weren't there to hear the, the word. They were here to be healed. They, or they came to be healed. They came for a miracle. And so in those verses right before this, Jesus went away to a lonely place. A quiet place early in the morning. And Peter comes and finds him. And what are you doing, Lord? There's people waiting for you. And, and as Christ always was, he was on mission. And he knew what he was to do. And he knew how he was to do it. And he said, no, we need to move on. We need to spread the gospel. And, and so that started a, a region around the Sea of Galilee there, going from town to town through the area of Galilee, preaching the Word and still doing miracles. And, and we come to the story in verse 40, and he's still traveling around. And as he's traveling around, probably between towns, he comes across a man who desperately needs to be clean and desperately needs his healing touch. Starting at verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And in one verse, in typical Markin style, he gives us the whole background of the story, gets us into the story, and boom, we're there. And we see this leper coming, and, and he's running to Jesus, and, and Mark uses just some short phrases here to illustrate the, the urgency of this, imploring him, literally begging him, kneeling in front of him saying, if you will, make me clean. To understand the story, we need to understand a little bit about lepers and leprosy of the time. The word for for leprosy, and and leprosy was dealt with in Leviticus, especially chapters 13 and 14, as you look at some of the laws about leprosy. But but the term for leprosy actually was a, a range of diseases, of skin diseases. And they didn't have the same medical treatment back then, but it could range anywhere from ringworm to what we think of as leprosy, where the flesh is rotting and, and, and body parts start to fall off. And because they didn't always know the difference, and, and most of these diseases were contagious and what they would consider incurable, they had laws that would protect the, the community from the leper. And in so doing, they, they would exclude the leper socially and spiritually. And so to be a leper meant to be an outcast. And it meant to live a pitiful existence where you were sort of just waiting around to die and waiting around to be in misery. And, and sometimes the diseases would cause things to happen to your body. Sometimes they would just dull the nerve endings so you couldn't feel anything. And then you would, you would just do stupid things with your, your hands or because you don't feel anything. And so maybe it's in the fire and you don't know it or it gets caught in something else and you don't know it. And, and so that was their existence. And if someone was, was a leper, they were declared unclean by ritual laws. And when you were unclean, a number of things happened and it was, it was worse with leprosy. When you were unclean, no one that was clean could come in contact with you. Because if you came in contact with someone that was unclean, what would happen to you? You would be unclean. And in fact, with leprosy, they extended that and the laws began to become more and more strict to where if a leper even stuck their head in your doorway, everyone in the room would be declared unclean. And, And so imagine what that does to the leper. Imagine being married, having children, and then contracting leprosy. What happens? And what they did with lepers is they would, would send them out of the city. They were not, uh, by law, allowed to be in any walled city either. 
And so they'd have colonies out there where everyone with leprosy got to go to the colony. Your wife, your children, your family could not come in contact with you anymore. In fact, they couldn't even come close to you. In Leviticus 13.45, one of the instructions is, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. And they were so serious about it that the leper, every time someone that was clean was coming close, had to basically proclaim, stay away, I'm unclean. And had to exclude themselves. It's like adding insult to injury. Some rabbis would even, in later times, we see some writings that they'd start to encourage people to throw rocks at them if they got too close to help them stay away. And so physically, socially, spiritually, the leper was, was pulled away from society and was an outcast and was alone and in desperate condition. Because the other thing with leprosy is they had no cure. It was considered an incurable disease that only God could cure. Some described them as basically being a walking corpse. And so all of the same laws that applied to a dead body applied to someone with leprosy. This is the man that comes to Jesus. This is why we're, we're pretty sure it's while he's walking between towns and not in town. But what do you notice right from the start? And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Right from the start, the leper is bypassing certain laws and certain ceremonial laws to get to Jesus. He's overcoming obstacles to get to Jesus. He should not have been this close. But really, who's going to stop him? He's walking along, the disciples are walking with Jesus, and, and the guy with leprosy comes walking up, there's not a single disciple that's going to grab him and stop him. But the man, because of his faith and because he knew that Jesus could heal him and make him clean, and this is more than just a healing, this has to do with, with spiritually clean and, and, and understanding the ceremony of the time, because he had such faith in Christ, he was willing to come and find Christ and come to his feet because he knew Christ was different. If you will, you can make me clean. In that verse, there is no if you can make me clean. There is no question of understanding that Christ can do this. There is only question of will you do this? Will you be willing? And at that moment, this leper shows faith that Christ can do this and he shows submission and humility to say your will be done. Not mine. In verse 41, we see Christ's answer. Moved, moved with pity. Some translations say compassion. Some may say anger. And there's a variant of is that word compassion or is that word anger? It looks more like it's compassion. But the anger wouldn't have been at the man, but the anger would have been at the disease and what the man was going through. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And at that moment, the disciples are like, wait, wait, no, don't touch him. Because what happens when you touch a leper? You become unclean. 
Every human being becomes unclean when they touch a leper. But Jesus was no human being, ordinary human being. He was the divine as a man. And rather than the unclean making the clean unclean, the clean washed away the unclean. And in a touch that showed amazing compassion, that showed the heart of Christ as He reaches out and touches this man, says, I will be clean. Everything changes. Jesus did not shrink from the ugly disease. He did not shrink from caring. He did not risk or or think it was a risk that He would become unclean. And He allowed love and compassion to triumph over ritual. Because ceremonial ritual was that He should not have touched Him. But love and compassion was more important to Christ. And here we get one of those immediately in Mark in verse 42. And immediately the leprosy left him. And it's sucking us into the story and says, Jesus touched him and bam, he's clean. Completely, wholly clean. There's no question of Christ's authority. There's no question of His power. The clean has overcome the unclean. And is cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Verse 43, And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So we see Jesus, He's cleansed them and now He gives some instruction. And He gives strong instruction. You see the word sternly there. And it's it's the idea of, okay, listen to me. Really listen to me. I don't know if with your kids you ever grab them by the shoulders and say, look me in the eye. And and what what are you saying? This is important. Get it. Sometimes we have our boys repeat it back to us. No excuses then. And, and, And they repeat it back so we know that they've gotten it. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He says, listen to me. Listen to me. And He gives some instructions. He says, see that you say nothing to anyone. Have we seen that before? Last week, with the demons, same instruction. And for the same reasons, Jesus is on His timetable. And Jesus says, don't say anything to anyone. It's not about the miracle. It's not about the the healing. It's about the message of repentance. Don't say anything to anyone. And then the second half is, is, is very important. But go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. And in Leviticus 14, in this section on on leprosy, we see all of the commands to treat someone as unclean, but then we see what do you do if they become clean? Now they knew that that becoming clean was not something they could do. the, The scribes at the time viewed healing leprosy about the same as raising the dead. Not something they did every day. And so... When, but if someone was to be healed by God, they were to come to the priest and to be integrated back into the community, the priest had to verify the healing and had to verify that the disease was gone. And Jesus here is obeying Mosaic law and, and, and He's saying, this is the system that, that I set up in the Old Testament. So go follow it. Go to the priest. Offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. 
It's interesting. And, and after the priest would declare them clean, they would offer a thank offering to God, and it was, it was a wonderful testimony of the work of God. But it's interesting, you see in the, in the end of verse 44 there, for a proof to them. And there's all kinds of debate, well, who is Jesus talking about? For a proof to them, to the priests, to, to the people around. And, and there's, there's commentaries all over the place on this one. I would argue that it's, it's literally a proof to the priests. And a chance to show, because that's the context that you see. And Scripture interprets Scripture. And we look at context. And he's going to the priest and showing him that he's clean. And that becomes a proof to the priests, not only of the cleansing, but understand this, it is a proof that Jesus is the Messiah. Because of their views of leprosy, only God could heal leprosy. And now if they verify this healing, they are verifying who Jesus is. And it becomes going through the channels, going through the, the, the structure, and, and Jesus giving a chance for the Jews to acknowledge him as Messiah. However, verse 45, and I'm not sure I would be any different than this man if my life was completely taken away and then it was completely healed. Verse 45, but he went out and began talking freely about it and to spread the news. And and the the word for freely there is continually. It was an ongoing act and it was to everyone. And and you can imagine if your life was was in ruins and, and you were healed, wouldn't you tell everyone? And he didn't obey Christ. And he did it his way instead of the way Christ asked him to. And we see the results in verse 45. So that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. And the man took matters into his own hands. Probably with good intentions. Probably in an effort to tell people about this wonderful man. And the result was that Christ's ministry was hindered. And he could no longer go into towns. Why? Not because no one would listen to him, but because people were there expecting a miracle worker. Expecting the healer to come. And it wasn't about the healing. The miracles served to verify the message, not the other way around. And so because of the disobedience, Jesus stayed out in desolate places. But as always happens with God, it did not thwart the plan of God. Because people came. And people came. but it's convicting to think about our obedience and how many times we really think our way is better. How many circumstances we get into that that we don't understand and we, we just wish God would act in a certain way because that's how He should act and that would be better. Or maybe instructions in Scripture that we just don't really think apply today anymore because we don't really feel like following those. It's so con- confining but it's God's plan and it's His way. And His way is always better than our way. See, the first story 
point number one there. And that wasn't all introduction. That was all the story. (laughs) Only God can make a leper clean. And Jesus compassionately and powerfully does so. Only God can make a leper clean. And Jesus compassionately and powerfully does so. And it becomes part of the testimony of who this man was for them. Because if only God would do that, and Jesus did it, then He is God. The next story picks up a, a few days later, and he's come back to Capernaum, and he's back, in, back at home. We don't know if that's his home, that Mary has moved the household there. Quite possibly it's still back to Peter's home. Remember, that, that's where Peter's mother-in-law was healed. And, and so they're, they're probably back in Peter's home in Capernaum. And we see a story that just takes this theme and expands it. And point number two on your notes, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus convincingly does so. Only God can forgive sins and Jesus convincingly does so. Let's pick it up in chapter 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. News got out. It took a little bit. Maybe he came in at night, snuck in or something. But news got out and suddenly people were there. And in verse 2, And many people were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the Word to them. There's a couple of really neat things about this verse. Number one, understand the the setting. They're inside the house. And in the houses of the time, and, and they've unearthed different walls, the houses of the time, the main room, probably if you really squeezed people, could fit maybe 40, 50 people. That's tight. And so the, the town was much bigger than that, and so people are spilling outside the door, and the windows were probably pretty small in the construction of the time, but people might have been outside the windows. But why are they there? It's different this time. Maybe because Jesus left, we don't know, but do you catch in verse 2 why they're there? What are they hearing? The message. The message. I think that's a very intentional an intentional wording by Mark, and he was preaching the Word to them. And we see Jesus again on mission. And in verse 3, we read, And they came, bringing to Him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near Him, because of the crowd, they removed the roof above Him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Heard this story before? This is amazing for on, on so many different levels. But the, these four friends are, are bringing their, their friend who is paralyzed and they have him on a mat and they're bringing him to Jesus because they know Jesus can heal him. And they walk up to the house and, and the, the room is crowded. They can't get in the room because it's just wall-to-wall people. People are outside the door and they have a decision to make at that point. What do we do? I guess we go home. But the four men believed so much in who Jesus was and what he could do for their friend that they found a way. And in the construction of the time, the the roofs were probably flat roofs and they either had an external staircase that would go up or some houses just had a a small ladder on the side. And 
And they, they go, and, and I can just picture what's happening. They go to the side of the house, and you know what? We're going to go up to the roof, and we're going to go down through. And his friends are saying, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's go. And they start to go up, and imagine the guy on the mat. I'm thinking I don't think so. You know, one Wildwood, some of the guys carried me around on a, a stretcher. I don't know if any of you are here. And it was one of the exercises, and I had to be paralyzed. And, and they, they get me out of the tent and they're on the stretcher and we get halfway down and they meet the girls team and for some reason get distracted and they drop me on my head. I'm not sure I trust my friends. But the, the guy on the mat had faith too. And they go up the stairs and they get to the roof. And the roofs of the time are, are made of um, some, some beams of, of trees that go across the main span. And then they would take sticks and put them the other direction that would cross the, the beams. And then they would lay palm fronds and, and other leaves and, and, and sticks. And then they would typically cover the top of that with clay or mud that would give it a little bit of more substance and that would keep some of the rain out. In some houses, they've discovered they even would have grass growing at certain times of the year. And, and this clay could have been in forms of tiles. In Luke, we see the, the word tiles used here. But it, it was definitely something you can dig through. I have a picture of um, what a, the inside of a roof would look like, and we'll have to turn off some lights. But you can see the, the beams going across. And the room we're talking was a little bigger than this, but this gives us an idea of then they put wood across it and you see all the leaves and the, the palm fronds and things going um, to, to fill in the gaps. So these guys go up to the roof and they just start digging. Figure out where Jesus is and they're digging and pulling away things. And, and you can just imagine from looking at this what's happening on the inside. This isn't a clean operation. This isn't just, oh yeah, we get a skill saw out and cut out a hole and, and we're good. They're digging and stuff's falling on the inside, but they are committed. They are committed to bringing their friend to Christ because they know it will change his life forever. Thank you, Don. And they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. They attached the straps to it and they let it down. They don't drop their friend. Really, I've forgiven you guys about that. And I can just imagine, again, being the guy on the mat, being lowered down, laying there helpless, and looking up at the eyes of Jesus and saying, today's the day. I'm going to be healed. And Jesus looks at him and does not physically heal him. Read in verse 6, or 5 rather. And when Jesus saw their faith, and again, whose, whose faith did he see? Their faith. It's the friends and probably included his faith as well, but their faith and their walk with God directly impacted their friend and, and their friend's ability to find Christ. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Wait a minute. This is the healer. 
This is the, the magician that cures all of our, our woes and all of our ills. And he looks at him, and this, is, this story is so significant because he, Jesus is, is showing who he is. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Why did he say that? I think there's several reasons we can think of that we know. If I can get to the right place on my notes. Jesus, he knew his deepest need. And his deepest need wasn't to walk. His deepest need was to have his sins forgiven so he could spend eternity with God. And Jesus at that moment, seeing their faith, and I believe seeing his faith on the mat, and his repentant heart, because Jesus would not have said that without repentance, without that being the message, and seeing his repentant heart and knowing it, dealt with the deepest need first instead of the superficial need. And I pray that in our lives, Jesus deals with the deep needs first. But most often, those aren't the needs that we think they are. Those aren't the needs we pray about. Those aren't the needs that we expect Him to work in. But boy, don't we want Him to meet the deep needs. It's like giving my kids vegetables. And they hate it. But it meets the deepest needs. It's what they need. I think that's one of the reasons. I, I mentioned the, the second. I think he knows the man's heart. He knows the heart is repentant and he's honoring that faith as well. But more than that, he's using this as an opportunity and we're going to see this in the next verse. What, what Mark hasn't said yet and he's setting it up is that from Jerusalem and from Judea, the, the Pharisees were starting to send people to watch Jesus. And they were starting to send the scribes, and this is the first time in Mark that we see the opposition on the scene. And so in the room, the scribes are there trying to catch Jesus. And Jesus uses this as an opportunity to proclaim His authority to forgive to proclaim His authority to cleanse as God Almighty in a way that everyone there would have taken notice of. We have to understand a little bit of the backdrop. In, in Old Testament thought, healing and forgiveness of sins were not that far separated like they are for us. For us, we think of those as, as two different issues. For them, they were often combined. We see that throughout the Psalms and in Exodus and Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Psalm 41. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. And so everyone in that room would have been thinking, what did this man do? Now, Jesus here isn't saying that all sickness comes from sin. But He's dealing with, with the perception of the time and He's dealing with their view of what God would do and using that to show His authority. Quite possibly, and we don't know the backstory of this man, possibly His, his illness was from some sort of sin. Uh, many commentators have guessed at that, but we all have to admit that's conjecture. We don't know. But to the scribes that were sitting there, the ability to forgive would lead to the ability to heal. And that was what would verify the ability to forgive. And so Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. 
And in six, you know, we, we get the, the dramatic music coming onto the, the film as the, the enemy is there. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, not aloud, in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins for, but God alone? And before we really come down on the scribes, understand this, they're right. They're right. In the Old Testament, we see clearly that no one can forgive sins but God alone. And if a man is coming claiming to forgive sins, then he is blaspheming. Because that is an affront to the majesty and the holiness of God. Uh, think about this a different way. If, if someone hits you in the face, and then a third party you don't know comes up and says, you know, I forgive them. You're like, they didn't hit you. You can't forgive them. Who is our sin an affront to? God the Father. And only God can forgive sins. And so by Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven, Jesus here is clearly to everyone there, and maybe we miss it, but clearly saying, I am God. And for those that say Jesus never said that, and never acted in that way, they haven't studied the Word. Because over and over and over, his claims are clear. And the scribes here have a dilemma. Because one of two things must be true. Either this man is God, which would mean I need to follow him and worship him and, and agree to his claims, or he is a human that is blaspheming God Almighty, and the penalty for that was stoning. So what do we do? Now we, we see a number of authors like C.S. Lewis call it a trilemma, and the classic trilemma, Lord, liar, or lunatic. Because either he's lying and deceiving people, he's crazy, or he's Lord, and he's right. And Jesus, in, in his perfect way, introduces that in his first encounter with the scribes. And he divides to the heart and says a decision must happen. In verse 8, And immediately Jesus, who is God, perceiving in the Spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Now, I've got to think that that right there should have made them stop in their tracks. They hadn't said anything. And Jesus looks at them and says exactly what they're thinking. I think that would have swayed the decision. Or should have swayed the decision. And in this case, Jesus offers to give them proof. And offers to give them authority. And he does it with a question. And Jesus often answers an, an attack or a question with a secondary question that makes people think. And he says, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? And, and there's, there's a double meaning to what he's saying here because to the, to the scribes, to say your sins are forgiven looked like an easy way out. There's no proof. Ha Phil, your sins are forgiven. Would someone, would someone prove that they aren't? 
It, there's no proof. And so to the scribes, Jesus was taking the easier way and avoiding the difficulty of healing him. Now Jesus here brings up the question because their view is wrong and it's backwards. Because what is harder? Healing someone that is a paralytic or going to the cross and taking on the sins of the world and bearing the pain of our sin? And Jesus is questioning them because they don't understand that. They don't understand that. And we see just a little foreshadow of the cross. He says, which is easier? And in verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. See, they tied the two together. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed. There's another word immediately there. The obedience was immediate. It was full. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. The people didn't miss it. Who did they glorify? God. They understood what Jesus was saying. This is why this is such a key passage. This isn't some obscure, oh, he healed a paralytic and maybe he's God. Everyone in that room knew exactly what the claims were. And from that point, it set the scribes on a course to try to kill him. And it set people that were willing to come to him on a course of repentance and salvation. Two amazing stories of real cleansing, of real power. And as we look at how to apply them, and this morning I just want to take the last five minutes and just give some quick points. What what do we do with this? Where do we go with this? And we should view these events from two perspectives, both from the eyes of the people being healed, of the paralytic, of the leper, and from the eyes of the disciples. And what I mean by that is as we view it from the eyes of the leper and the paralytic, we are looking at it, how does God cleanse us? What can I learn? But we also have the disciples around that Jesus is training how to minister to others. And He's training them how to handle the church and how to lead. And so when we view it from the eyes of the disciples, we look at it as walking in the steps of our Master. And what can we learn about ministry and ministering to others? Seven quick things. Number one, only Jesus has the power to make us clean. Only Jesus has the power to make us clean. It's the point of both stories. Jesus is God. He is the only one that could cleanse the leper. He is the only one that could forgive sins. And as the leper that reminds us that we shouldn't be seeking other things to get rid of a guilty conscience. We shouldn't be seeking other ways to drown what we're feeling, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but coming to Jesus Christ because He is the only one that can and will make us clean if we come to Him in faith. Church family, we are unable to cure ourselves. 
but rather than making us lose hope, that gives us hope. Because the one who can cure all and cleanse all is waiting to do a work. As ministers to people, it reminds us that every person we see, their answer is God and the healing touch of Jesus Christ. Their deepest need is that. And as I minister to people, it's not about me. I heal no one. I forgive no sins. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes you'll work with someone for a long time and see them walk away from God and the anguish of the heart wants to say, what did I do wrong? Well, it's not up to you. You can affect things, but you do not cleanse and you do not cure. And there's relief in that. But it's a reminder to point Jesus to Christ instead of ourselves. The neighbor you see outside, his need is to be cleansed by Jesus. Second point, we persist in seeking Jesus when we believe He will change our lives. We persist in seeking Jesus when we believe He will change our lives. And where I'm going with this is is coming back to the faith aspect. What made the leper break the ceremonial laws, and fight his way to Jesus. He believed Jesus would make a difference. What made the four men dig through the roof of someone else's house? If it's Peter's house, I can just imagine what he's thinking. Wait a minute, you didn't say this was one of the costs of discipleship. And what made them do that? For both of them, it was a firm belief that Jesus and only Jesus would change their lives. And I think about that, and I think about that faith, and and I want to just take a different take on it this morning. Because so many times we try to to be disciplined spiritually, and I need to read my Bible more, and and I need to spend more time with God in prayer, and, and those are right things, and they are wonderful things, but if we do them just because we're supposed to, we will fail. But if we do them because we believe they will make a difference in our lives, but we believe Jesus will show up and make a difference, maybe not in the ways we expect, that motivates us to to be in that love relationship and to dig into the Word. If it's just an act because we have to, we drop it. So when we think of how do we walk with God and how do we practice being in His Word, And how do we get up early to do that or take the time to do it? I think we need to come back to do we believe Jesus is who He is? Do we believe that that encounter in the Word is is even an encounter of power? Even when we're reading Chronicles. And I'm challenged by that. I'm challenged to come to God's Word every day with an expectation of the work of Christ. Third point. Nothing we can do is too unclean for Jesus to deal with. Nothing we can do is too unclean for Jesus to deal with. Amen? He touched the leper and the leper became clean. He forgave sins. He healed a paralytic. 
And Satan would love to capture you with guilt and would capture you with self-pity. But the purifying work of Christ on the cross is greater than any sin. No comparison. We are never beyond the reach of Christ. And if you are here today and, and you are looking at your life and you are looking at all the things that you've been into and it's stopping you from coming to Christ, today's the day to let that go. Because Christ is greater than those things. And His work on the cross is infinitely greater than anything we could do. As we minister to people, that needs to be our message. To people that are trapped by guilt. Trapped by habits. And wondering if Jesus even can can touch their lives. Fourth point. Ministry means involvement. This is more on the ministry side. Jesus cared deeply about those in need and He gave all to touch our lives. He had compassion. He had pity on both of these men that were outcasts. And I've got to say, if we are going to be ministers of of the Word, it's going to get messy. It means getting involved in people's lives. It means hearing things we don't want to hear but bringing the love of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ to bear on that. It means a commitment to do things we don't like to do. And our model is Jesus Christ. As He broke all social concerns and touched that man. We saw Him touch last week. And throughout Mark, we're going to see that over and over and over. Fifth, and I've already mentioned this, but I'll I'll give it to you for your notes. Dealing with sin is always our deepest need. Dealing with sin is always our deepest need, as it is your neighbor's. Sixth, follow God's instructions even when we don't understand. One man thought he knew better and hindered the ministry of God. The other, did you catch verse 12? Did exactly what Jesus said And the result was that people praised God. Look at the stories in comparison. Both healed, both cleansed, one man disobeyed, one man obeyed, and the results are different. Follow God's instructions even when we don't understand. And finally, don't underestimate the power of your walk on another's soul. Don't underestimate the power of your walk on another's soul. Thinking especially of the paralytic's friends. They were creative. Not a solution I would have thought of. They were persistent. And they sacrificed their own comfort for him. Because they were determined to bring their friend to Jesus. morning in these two stories we are confronted that Christ and Christ alone cleanses. And I pray that we embrace that today. And I end just with a quick reading out of the voyage of the Don Treader. And I love the scene on Dragon Island. I'm not going to use any voices, Fred, so don't... Um, don't don't shoot me. <laughs> um, I love the scene on Dragon Island with Eustace. 
And Eustace has, has just a, a dragon heart, Lewis describes it. And, and he ends up finding the dragon's treasure and, and sleeping on it with, with these, these, this dragon heart, and he becomes a dragon. And a little bit later, he's trying to shed the dragon's skin. And he goes and he, he tries and he encounters Aslan, which represents Christ. And Eustace tries three times to tear off the skin, and underneath he just finds more skin, more dragon skin. And then Aslan, representing Christ, said, You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first terror he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked a scab off a sore place. It hurts, but it is such fun to see it coming away. Well, he'd peeled that beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobby looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch, and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now, and I had no skin on, and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And that, after that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm, and then I saw why. I'd turned into a boy again. May Aslan, may Christ tear the skin of our sin and our filth off and cleanse us with His blood. Let's pray. Lord God, oh, Your cleansing power of which there is no other found. May we as Your people come to You in faith and submission and see Your cleansing power. Lord, but may we also as Your people be bringing others to You and ministering to others and telling them the good news that Jesus is God and He can cleanse us and He has secured forgiveness of sins. Lord, we worship You because that can only be You. In your precious name, amen.